We are kicking things off with a word from our sponsor. The new streaming service, Film Movement Plus, opens a world of award-winning entertainment, including some of the best films from around the globe. Among the hundreds of titles waiting for you to discover are some of the best films from 2020, including The Wild Goose Lake, Zombie Child, and more. Available on Roku, Apple TV, and Amazon Fire, as well as streaming online and on mobile, Film Movement Plus is priced at $5.99 a month. But as a listener of Watch with Jen, Film Movement Plus will give you a 30-day free trial plus the next three months at 50% off when you use the promo code WATCHWITHJEN, all one word. Sign up today at filmmovementplus.com. Hey, this is Jen Johans at filmintuition.com and filmintuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch With Jen. Today's guest is Jordan Harper. A little over a year ago, I picked up Jordan's novel, She Rides Shotgun, and basically didn't put it down until the next day when I finished it. Paper Moon meets Sons of Anarchy with terse, lean, visceral, muscular prose that puts you right into the frame of mind of his characters. She Rides Shotgun garnered Jordan the prestigious Edgar Award for Best First Novel by an American Author. A Missouri native who also worked as an ad man and rock critic, Jordan is a talented screenwriter as well. He wrote and produced shows like The Mentalist and Gotham, and also adapted his literary hero James Elroy's masterful novel L.A. Confidential for CBS. Despite an impressive, addicting pilot, the network passed, but you can read more about the series and Jordan's hopes for it in a great article I've linked to in this post. Additionally, He's written a book of hard-boiled, short noir fiction, Love and Other Wounds, that was first published as American Death Songs. I started following Jordan on Twitter after I read his work and we became e-pals when we were both separately invited onto Blake Howard's brilliant Michael Mann Obsessives Only podcast, One Heat Minute, and I'm thrilled to invite him on a watch with Jen. One of my favorite things about Jordan is that yes, he can be a hard-ass, but he's also known to watch the piano on occasion and drop Fiona Apple lyrics into everyday conversation. Currently living in L.A. with his girlfriend Megan and one of the cutest dogs on planet Earth, Elroy, of course, I couldn't wait to bring him on to share his cool, unique taste with us all. Well, dog my cats, Jordan Harper's back. Okay, forgive me for prematurely launching into mammoth speak, or rather mammoth doing Mark Twain in The Spanish Prisoner. So let's start at the beginning. How have you been doing and how have you continued dealing with the pandemic in progress? Wow. Well, um, I've been doing okay. I think we all have our ups and downs nowadays. And there's um, there's a Janis Joplin song that I, I might have mentioned this to you off the air at some point, but uh, there's a Janis Joplin song on her Best of album that's a live number. And she... Um, goes on this long monologue in it in the uh, in the song and I don't even remember what the monologue is about but at the end of the monologue Janis Joplin just says in like the most resigned voice it's all the same fucking day man and uh is that the one about the t-shirts where the be. okay I literally have no idea yeah. all I know is that 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 Janis Joplin saying it's all the same, same fucking day, day man. <laughs> 
uh, has been just going through my head a, a lot recently. Um, uh, but I'm, you know, look, uh, there's oh, you always have to counterbalance it with, uh, I'm one of the lucky ones. I continue to work and, and be healthy and not worry about things. And uh, so I'm, I'm doing all right. And, and, and to get through the pandemic, I guess we just get through it at this point, right? Yeah, very good. Well, you recently created a new Substack newsletter called Welcome to the Hammer Party that I will link to in this post. So Jordan, what can you tell us about that and also the status of your upcoming novel or novels? Uh, yeah, Welcome to the Hammer Party is, first of all, just a title that I've had for a really long time that was originally going to be the name of a, a podcast. And then uh, recently when I decided I, I needed to find an online outlet that was healthier than Twitter, I mm -hmm. decided to go ahead and, and uh, follow the trend towards uh, Substack. And it's a free sign up. I'm not going to charge for what I do on it. But um, it's just a place where I can, A, give news when I have news about myself and also a place where I'm going to write, I think, mostly about my two real interests, which are, are uh, the writing process and the creative process and about crime. Uh, which is what makes up most of my um, most of my uh, uh, free reading and, and, and interest. So, you know, I'm, I'm working on the second issue now. I think I'm going to write about the Young Brothers Massacre, which was a uh, shootout in Springfield, Missouri, my hometown in 1932, where uh, seven law enforcement officers lost their life. Um, Your relative, inclu right? Including, yes, including my great-granduncle. And uh, it was always kind of one of the early crime stories that interested me and, and I think is largely responsible for a lot of my uh, interests in life. And the other thing I, I'm working on an essay right now about people who say that uh, writer's block is not real. Okay. Um, and how I, and I say this as, a, as both someone with uh, often bad writer's block and also somebody who's been sober for 11 years. Like, I, I think that's a lot like people saying well, alcoholism isn't real. Just have a couple beers. Um, oh, geez. Yeah. Or like somebody who's seven feet tall saying, well, you just take the ball and you put it in the basket. What's so hard about that? Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, not to get ahead of my myself there. But, um, <laughs> so those are the kind of things that I'm going to be writing about in, in the, the newsletter. And it's it's just a way for me to, to try and experiment again with uh, nonfiction writing, which is something I haven't done in a long time. Well, I really enjoyed the first issue, so I can't wait for the next one. Thank you. Oh, and, and the books, uh, yeah, I've got, I've got two novels in d different stages right now. I'm trying to um, sell my new novel, The Last Camp California. And Excellent uh, book. Jen has read an early uh, copy of it, and, and it's very kind. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and I'm uh, working on a second draft of a book with the working title of Hollywood Sickos, uh, which is my James Elroy set in 2018. Um, you know, when I first started writing it, which was, you know, in 2019, I said, this is a book that is set right now. Mm -hmm. And and then the pandemic happened and it's become a book that is set in 2018 <laughs> because I have no interest in putting the pandemic in it. And at this point, I don't, feel reliable that we can write about the future no. uh, of what it's going to be like afterwards. So it's, it, it's become a period piece against my will. Yeah. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but I'm enjoying working on it a lot, although it's, uh, it's much longer than any of my previous work. So um, I'm trying to get a handle on it, but uh, it's, it's fun. 
Okay, exciting. Well, a little background for the uninitiated. Jordan is one of my pandemic movie club buddies, which means that by now, although there are some surprises, we know each other's taste in film pretty well. And amazingly, he is still speaking to me. (laughs) I'm just kidding. When we began kicking around ideas for today's episode, initially we thought we would steer clear of crime movies since that's what we discuss every week. But then as we started brainstorming, we found ourselves right back in the land of heists and cons. As a big fan of David Mamet's plays, films, and some of his books, as soon as you suggested this for a topic, I knew I couldn't let the opportunity go by because I can't imagine someone better suited to breaking down the good, the bad, and the what the hell of both his filmography and his dramatic theory with me than you. So before we go into each movie, I would love to ask you for your impressions of Mamet's work overall. Do you remember what your first experience with Mamet was? And what is it that you respond to most in his work as a screenwriter? Uh, you know, that's that's a great question. And I actually have a, a, a lot to say about my, my first exposure to Mamet as a writer-director uh, that we'll talk about, I think, more when we get to The Spanish Prisoner. Um, Mine too. That was my first. But, um, you know, I think, and I, again, not to get right into it, but like, I think my first exposure to David Mamet, where I would have ever known who he was, was probably watching um, Glengarry Glen Ross. Yep. And, and that, that amazing movie Mm -hmm. and, and, and falling in love with it. And, you know, he, his theory I think is sometimes better than than his practice, but I think theoretically, the things that he preaches and just the fact that he does preach something that he has an aesthetic, mm-hmm. and that he has you know um, developed an acting style that is one of the only major forms of new acting styles that have come out post um, the method, and like sure. that's like that's like important, and that he um, you know again he is such a singular filmmaker and. When it succeeds, it, it succeeds largely on, on the basis of his theory, although not entirely. And we'll get to that too. But like, and when it fails, it fails either because of his theory, or because he doesn't live up to it. And um, his films are as, as singular as anybody making movies today. He is, he is truly an auteur, um, sometimes to his benefit and sometimes not. Um, and I can't even begin to calculate how much he has shaped me as a, as a writer and as somebody, uh, my beliefs about what storytelling should be um, mm-hmm. are, are profoundly, again, honestly, more so by the theory than the practice uh, of his belief in that nothing reveals character. Well, he doesn't believe in the concept of the character, but like, in, in my opinion, nothing reveals character more than action. Yep. And that films that are character driven or whatever character pieces are in fact, in my opinion, as empty as a film that is purely action with no character. Um, And that to me, the only truly, you know, unified storytelling is, is something that does both. And uh, you know, I say that now my phrase for that is por que no las dos. Um, Why not do both? Yeah. Why not do both? Yeah. Um, And he is, I think the person I got that from and Uh, yeah, I, so I'm a I'm a tremendous fan, and and I will say you know speaking of our pandemic movie club, I feel like sometimes my role in in the in the club is to be the person who points out the problems. Um, it's okay though, we love that about you. 
I attribute this to the, you know, uh, having a career in television where this mm -hmm. is what we do. And, you know, uh, my partner, Megan, is also a TV writer. And when we watch movies or we watch TV, that is what we do. And okay. so I'm going to say a lot of negative things about David Mamet. Hey, in the next, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, he is probably, while he's not my favorite filmmaker, he's probably the most influential filmmaker in my uh, my creative process. Okay. So, that's so that's my impression of him. Yes. Okay, great. Well, obviously you've seen all of these movies before and we will start going through them in more detail here soon. Whether it's in watching them in such quick succession and realizing like I did that, my God, does he love the names Bobby, Joe, and Mike, mm -hmm. or something more profound like seeing his philosophies of enter the scene late and leave early in practice while simultaneously rereading a number of his critical theory texts, like on directing film, which is my favorite, three uses of the knife or th true and false heresy and common sense for the actor that I wanted to throw across the room. Was there anything in particular that jumped out at you this time around? And did you have any new Eureka moments? Um, just in general about all of the films? Um, yeah, or anything. I, I, I uh, you know, I actually think, and we can get into it, I liked true and false more this time than any other oh, time okay. that I have read it. Um, his, his belief on acting, I think when taken in a vacuum is not true. Mm -hmm. When taken as a part of the whole of what acting is today in the 21st century, I think it's extremely useful. Okay. And, and just to break it down, I mean, I don't know if you want to get into it like this, but you know, go for it. He essentially says there is no such thing as character. Do not come in with a funny voice. Do not come in with tics. Do yeah. not come in with a backstory. Do not come in with any preconceived notions other than this character needs to achieve this goal in this scene and how are they going to do it? Mm -hmm. um, he believes very strongly that you do not have to induce an emotional state within yourself in order to portray that image on screen, um, which as somebody mm -hmm. who has worked extensively with actors, I completely agree with. Oh, wow. And not only that, it would be a great boon to people who work in the entertainment industry if we could stamp that idea out because it okay. is used as a tool, and I'll stop talking in a second. It oh, is you're used fine. As, as a tool to justify a tremendous amount of bad behavior. Um, oh. You know that- How are you going with Joker and that kind of behavior? Or Absolutely. Gotcha. Walking, that's a different story to me though. Like bringing that and needing to throw a chair across the room or do something crazy, like that's insane. But I think whatever an actor needs within reason uh, in their own private to bring in this character or like the, the work that Joe Montaigne brought as Mike, he was Mike in his own mind. It's like, respect what they do, I think is what I was missing from the text. But I get you, like, it shouldn't just be, you know, I'm Brando and I'm just trying to do the big thing here. You know, when, yeah, I, again, it, it just show up and do the job, I think is, is the thing. Yeah. <laughs> because everyone else in the room is expected to show up and do the job. Very true. Um, when I write a scene that is hopefully heartbreaking, um, I don't get heartbroken. Um, when the director directs it, they don't have to cry. Um, and I don't believe, have you ever read Jay McIrney's Story of My Life? No. It's a, I suspect if I read it now, I would find it 
fairly misogynistic. But okay. uh, Jay McIrney, he wrote uh, Bright Lights, Big City. He was kind of like a part of that brat pack of literary people in the 80s. Brett Easton Ellis. Brett Easton Ellis, that whole gotcha. crew. Um, and Story of My Life is, is such a good parody of the thing that Mamet is attacking. And it is a story of a young actress uh, attending NYU. And her life is so, it's also obviously an indictment of yuppies in, in New York because it's one of these guys' books. Her life is so full of falseness and, mm -hmm. and misery and inauthenticity that the only place that she's allowed to feel the emotions she feels in her mind is acting class. So she literally goes to acting class so that she can cry about how awful her life is. And okay. she goes to acting class in order to feel emotions. And I think that is in a large part what Mamet is, is reacting against is, yeah. is this feeling that like you have to go in there and cry. Um, that you have to you have to be upset in order to okay. portray someone who is upset. That's yeah, gotcha. Um, but uh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I became a much bigger fan of Things Change and Homicide when I watched them here. Did you like any of the films better or worse this time when you watched them? Um, you know, that's a good question. I I will say that I have been a long time Spartan uh, apologist, and I think. Um, yeah, that's really a flawed film. And, and when we get to it... It is. I saw something new in it, too. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> there were always problems with it. It was always sort of the real slide. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, you want to talk about something that has become even more clear the more time that it goes on, is he is so purely an, uh, a person who had it and lost it. Mm, um, yeah. And maybe he'll come back. I know. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, I know we're not going to talk about it. So I'll jump ahead and say, like, Phil Spector was a piece of garbage. I didn't even see it. I just, it was a piece yeah. of garbage. Red Belt was very bad. <laughs> it was. Um, and Spartan has, again, like some of the flaws that start to come out in his work really start to manifest themselves. Um, but, you know, and not to keep rant ranting about his acting stuff, but I, the thing that really became clear to me on this go through is. There are people who can do his stuff and there are not Val Kilmer not, not, and Val Kilmer. That's right. That's what I realized this time. I think the first time through when I, or back when I used to watch Spartan, when I was really obsessed with David Mamet, I thought he was just delivering this very soldierly performance, but no, he's not. No. Good at that was um, my, yeah, I wrote that too. <laughs> um, whereas there are, and, and a lot of it, and it is actually an attack on, on, on Mamet's acting style is, a lot of people have a hard time sounding like a human being saying mm -hmm. his dialogue. And then when For you sure. get to people who can do it, you know, you get to Gene Hackman, that was Joe my... Montaigne, yes. um, you know, Steve Martin. Um, God, yeah. Elroy Lindo. Yeah. Yes, all Elroy of them. Lindo. Yeah. They sound so good doing it because yep. I, it, so I really think, of, um, and here's the other thing, and I think it's not just the acting style, but it, it's, when you read his book on acting, it doesn't give a lot for a director to tell an actor. Yeah. So he, it feels a little bit like he sort of lets people sink or swim. Yep. And <laughs> so um, I think that uh, you, you watch a lot of people sink in these movies. And I think that is the time. And that's what I think makes Mamet hard to go down for some people. Yep. Um, I agree with you. Is, is the people who can't hack it. And I think the, the best of his movies are the ones that are the most full of people who can hack it. Yep. Um, and I guess the other thing I would say is this time through, I have more respect for Rebecca Pigeon than I used to. Me too. Yep. I think she might be the MVP, actually, like after Montaigne. Yeah, I think, you know, look, I always loved Ricky Jay. Ricky Jay oh. is a, 
Ricky's in his own little pantheon yeah. for me. Yeah, he, he, he can do <laughs> uh, no wrong. Yep. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that. And I don't want to get uh, when we talk about Spanish prisoner, I'll, I'll talk a little bo- bit more about my theory about how she is actually embodying a very interesting character in that film. And yep. it, my first go through many go throughs of that film, I could not understand what she was doing in that movie because it's weird. What she's doing <laughs> in that do. movie is weird, but um, but I like it. And I yeah, um, yeah I just really enjoyed her. Uh, I think she is oftentimes saddled with her husband's weird perception Mm-hmm. Of, of women um and again we'll get to it both in spanish prisoner and, and more so in state and maine but uh, i came up with the phrase uh, manic pixie ll bean girl okay yeah um, i like it and <laughs> because um she's often uh, idealized in these mm-hmm. uh, in, in one way or another and uh, god bless a man for loving his wife yeah <laughs> yeah but uh look i mean you know the danger of this conversation is that um, we could go on for like literally hours because um, there's, you know, uh, you know so I think much here. so much, so many different books and so many different looks at what he does that I, I, I hesitate to keep talking in the general. So, okay, well, we might as well begin at the beginning. And FYI, once we get into the films, I did want to mention that there will be spoilers in the conversation today. So let's start with Mammoth's first film as director which was originally supposed to be directed by Peter Yates. I'm talking about 1987's Cracker Jack thriller, House of Games, written by Mamet, and based on a story he wrote with Jonathan Katz, and starring his stable of close friends, coworkers, and family from his early days starting in the Chicago theater. David Mamet's first wife, the Oscar-nominated actress Lindsay Krauss, who got the script greenlit by reaching out and getting it in the hands of her Places in the Heart producer Michael Hausman after five years of struggle, stars as a Freudian psychoanalyst specializing in compulsion and obsession. Having just published a book on the subject, she decides to stage an intervention with the criminal underworld when one of her patients comes to her with a gun. He's in debt and terrified about what's going to happen when he can't pay back a loan he had taken out from a man named Mike, played by Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, Tony winner, Joe Montaigne. Going down to talk to this bully face-to-face, she is quickly drawn into their world of poker, cons, and tricks after dark. It is a brilliantly written film. It features the most charismatic turn by an actor in Mammoth. In Montini's sexy, playful, and weirdly, if you think about it, refreshingly honest turn as the con man. Mike tells Margaret, Lindsay Krauss, exactly what she shouldn't do. And like the compulsive that she is, she goes and does it anyway. I am less enthused about Krauss's performance here. I think she and Mamet went overboard in removing any emotional affect from her. So she's a hard character to understand and or root for beyond just what's on the surface. I believe you made the joke once that Mammoth's kink was hearing his wife speak like space aliens. And though obviously you were kidding, you had a point. I wasn't surprised to learn that she hired a language coach to talk like that. I do think I like her better the more I've rewatched it over the years, however. At first, it was just too strange. Overall, the language in this one is delicious, though. Montaigne's lines, aren't you a caution, or you're a bad pony and I'm not going to bet on you, are just way too much fun. So, Jordan, what are your thoughts on House of Games? 
I mean, it is, it's a wonderful movie. It really is. Yeah. Um, it's also, you know what it is? It's a wonderful first film. And mm-hmm. it feels like a first film the way that Blood Simple feels like the first Coen Brothers film. Oh, good point. Um, and, and like, you can see the rough edges. You can see the parts that he is not good at. I think it literally is, you have to get to Spanish Prisoner before um, the the score is used for anything other than wallpaper. The score in this is like the most generic jazz wallpaper. Yes, it is. Um, you know, I think, you know, again, talking about realizations, I've always hated Lindsay Krauss in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and before I was more aware of her as an actress, I just thought she was, frankly, a terrible actress. It's so yeah. alien. And, you know, sometimes I think, and you see it again in his books, that he's always speak clearly. The audience paid to mm-hmm. hear the yes. play. And so, you know, she delivers it as kind of like the ultimate version of that um, but then when you mix it with his his love of like broken down language and, and sentence fragments and things like that, it really does sound like an, an alien. Yeah. And then there are just one or two moments in this movie. And then obviously in the rest of her career where she gets to act like a normal person. Mm-hmm. Where you go, oh, no, no, no. She's an actress who's just made this choice. Probably yeah. David Push. or David yes. Mann made the choice. <laughs> um so, uh, yeah, but, you know, as, as far as, like, just the pureness of it, the pureness of the con, mm-hmm. the, the, the love of con artist language, the, the love of little things like, um, and this is something I both learned from Mamet and, and from the Grifters, but, like, this, this love, this, like, argot, this, like, um, you know, uh, the blow-off and the, you know, yeah. your tipping them and, and things like that, that. Your uh, road game and all that. Yeah. Right, the short con, you, yep. you know, all that stuff that, you know, uh, that he all learned from Ricky Jay um, mm-hmm. is, is so much fun and, and the twists all work and, and you're so invested. And you're right. Joe Montaigne is fantastic. In this yes. <laughs> um, and there, there are so few noticeable shots. You know what I mean? He really, there's, I think one great shot in this film and it is the shot where she's looking through the door into the poker room and Ricky Jay is looking back at her. Yes. And, that's there's great. Like, there's some lovely interior framing going on and, 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 you know, he's in a dark room and it actually kind of evokes that film noir, um, you know, high contrast shots. And I, you know, but other than that, it is, it is exactly what he says in, in his on directing book of like uninflected mm-hmm. cuts to tell the story. Um, but it's so much fun. It's just fun. It really is. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. Uh, you know, another thing I thought about this time reading all these books is he hates psychoanalysis, David Mamet. He does. He's always encouraging you to read Freud and Jung and especially in on directing film. He's like, yeah. read, let's see, Freud, Jung and Bettelheim. Yeah. Because he believes that film is all a dream sequence. He encourages you to read myth. But then he goes right back to, no, it's the study of semantics. So <laughs> he's kind of having a battle with himself. That was one thing I was getting from reading so much Mammoth Theory is you're with him on one page. And then like four pages later, he's completely arguing against what he just said. And you're like, wait, what? Well, I agree. And I think that's where he falls apart is the idea that that, that section that, yes, I, I just reread that too, where he talked about filming a dream sequence. Yeah. He's so against how he preaches everything else. Yes, um, exactly. Because, you know, you want to talk about, like, there's nothing Lynchian in, in what David Mamet does. No. And, and, think... and 
dream sequence to him means something completely different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because a dream sequence, you would want to induce the state of feeling like you're in a dream, which means you're trying to manipulate the audience, which he says is this great sin. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's a couple of core hypocrisies at the, at the heart of David Mamet. I think that's one of them. And the other one is how he always, he preaches acting should be simple. Mm-hmm. Direction should be simple. Everything should be simple, simple. and unadorned. Yeah. <laughs> and there's one thing that he has in none of his books ever written about how to do. Mm. And that's write dialogue. Interesting. Yes, you're so right. Yeah. And not only is that A, the thing that people actually like pay him or used to pay him the yeah. big bucks to do, it's the one place in his work that he obeys none of those rules. The The oh. writing is completely filigreed and, and, and ornate and, and luxuriating and these things yeah. you would never allow yeah. an actor to, yeah. Iambic pentameter. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a number of syllables and it's a rhythm. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. And, uh, and so I just think it's very interesting that, you know, he is so dismissive of the concept of talent and spends no time talking about the one thing that he is just purely hugely talented at. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and I just think that, that, bears a lot of thinking about when you when you try and take in his his books on theory is that he's leaving something out and he never not even in Bambi versus Godzilla does he really talk about you know well how do you write characters who talk like this and it's like yes he doesn't know because it's his talent I think it is and also it might be a little bit like what I was watching this interview with Lindsay Krauss where she was talking about her his friendship with Ricky Jay and how she said Ricky has power over him or had power over him because he would tell him things, but keep so much back and just keep David like hungry mm. and wanting to know more. And I think that might be part of it for David. Like, no, that's my thing. I'm not going to talk. Or maybe I don't want to talk about it because if I think about it too much, intellectualize it, then it will. Mm-hmm. I'll start hyper analyzing it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I do think it's interesting that that is, you know, a place that he lets himself just run totally wild while chastising yeah. everyone else. Yes. Do not yeah. run wild. Perfect. Um, yeah. <laughs> by the way, I, by the way, as, as a writer who I, I, I'm not comparing myself to him, but um, I do tend to write, you know, particularly in my pilots and things like that, very elevated dialogue. And one thing I learned very early on is if you write elevated dialogue, you do need the actors to not elevate it. You yes. need them to deliver it. Like that's how they talk because Otherwise, just one of my favorite things, I didn't mean to cut you off, but when you said that, it like went right in my head was uh, Walton Goggins doing your dialogue about find a lever in Mm. the LA confidential pilot. It's like one of the best things I've seen in a pilot. And I'm like, that's Jordan and that's Walton. And it's just magic. So, oh, thank you very much. Um, Yeah. (laughs) yeah, And and it was very, you know, that's a thing where if people deliver hard boiled dialogue, like it's hard boiled dialogue, it's going to stink. Yes. Um, it's going to stink on ice, which I think is a dynamic <laughs> phrase. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, this is going f- far afield. I would say that there are a few times in this script where uh, people talk that way. He does mostly leave it in the hands of, of Joe Montaigne and yeah. allow him to be the peacock in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, uh, you know, the only other thing that I would say about it, and I did not re-listen to it um, when we were getting ready for this, but if you own the Criterion... Mm-hmm. Uh, edition of this. Well, it's worth buying because there is a commentary track with Mamet and Ricky and Jay. Ricky Jay, I know. I need to get that. And it is it is well 
well worth your time. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I did see the interviews and some of the extra features that they have on Criterion Channel. And there was one with Montaigne where he was talking about, I think it was also on Homicide too, where he was talking about how everybody's like, well, he just writes how people talk. And he's like, nobody talks like a David Mamet character oh. at all. And it's kind of, he was comparing it to Shakespeare. And he said that the one thing he did in House of Games, and he knew it was kind of nervy is there's the line, I think it's right after the Western Union scene, which is one of my favorites, where he's uh, don't trust nobody. And mm -hmm. originally Mamet had written don't trust anybody. And he said, you know, I don't think Joe's going to say that, or Joe, I don't think Mike is going to say that. And so he suggested it. And he goes, it doesn't seem like I'm asking a lot. It's just one word. He said, but with Mamet, it's a number of syllables and mm. it's a rhythm and it's and he said he like heard him in his head or he said, I could see the wheels turning like, yeah, okay, you can keep that. Like <laughs> he had to go over, does it still have rhythm? Does it work? And I thought that was really interesting. That is. That yeah. Is <laughs> there's a, yeah, he doesn't like, there's not a lot of contractions a lot of times. Like, he, no. Yep. Um, which again, lends that air of artificiality with. Yep. Is, is, again, fine. I think that people shouldn't talk the way people talk. Um, no because uh, it's it's boring um and he's so good at the other thing um yeah you'd have yeah. five minutes on the weather and yeah <laughs> exactly yes well as a filmmaker david mamet collaborated twice more with montaigne on screen immediately following house of games the first is with the warm surprisingly sweet mafia buddy dramedy things changed from 1988 co-starring Don Amici which the playwright co-wrote with Shel Silverstein. Godfather 3 fans might remember Montaigne delivering a particularly amusing speech about Italian-American pride as Joey Zaza where he cites Meucci who invented the telephone and Don Amici playing the man who invented the telephone and those lines kept playing in my head as I rewatched the movie this time. But anyway back to Mamet. After things changed, Montaigne's next follow-up with Mamet was in 1991's Hard Hitting Homicide, co-starring the director's usual suspects, Ricky Jay, William H. Macy, and for the first time, Rebecca Pigeon. Mamet's former mistress, current muse, and new wife, Pigeon was soon to become, for my money, the MVP in his movies. After Ricky Jay and Joe Montaigne, of course, while I remembered liking both Things Change and Homicide, I hadn't seen either of them in decades. And this time uh, around, I was particularly struck with how much Montaigne does with so little dialogue in Homicide. In a weird way, it's the antithesis of House of Games. In it, he plays Bobby Gold, not to be confused with Speed the Plow's Bobby Gould, who Montaigne portrayed on the stage. No, Homicide's Bobby Gold is a Jewish police detective in a major nameless American city who finds himself discovering how much anti-Semitism lies just below the surface in not only policing, but also everyday life in general. Juxtaposing that issue with questions involving police racism and the push-pull power struggles between the various branches of law enforcement. There's a lot of really hilarious lines about, you know, damn the FBI. It's really, really funny as they go back and forth. It's a tough film that raises more questions than answers. And while I love watching Montaigne play a confident wordsmith in House of Games, what he does as Bobby here 
and the complexity he brings to this performance make it the one that I think might be even stronger. Homicide is not a film I can watch a lot, but I do think it's a powerful and compelling movie. So what did you think of this one or both films and this era of Mamet in particular? Um, I have to be honest, I, I feel like at some point in my life, I saw things change. That, that's okay. the movie, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I didn't, you know, I didn't watch it. Didn't make this. a big, yeah. And, and, and it, it, it's left no impression on me whatsoever. Gotcha. So, that was my original thought. Like, I remember liking it, but like, nah, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, Homicide has uh, not, it's just, frankly, it's not one of my favorite movies. Yeah. And of, of the movies we're talking about today, it's my, my least favorite. Okay. Um, and certainly not on a technical level as far as like Montaigne again is great. Uh, William H. Macy um, very good. Yeah. Very, very good. And it's probably just as an aside, I mean, we're going to, he comes up a lot cause he's in almost all of these movies is like the leading proponent of Mammoth's style of acting. He really is. And, yeah. uh, you know, he's excellent in it. Um, there's lots of, uh, lots of good performances. I did not recognize Ving Rhames. I with know. Hair. Yes. Um, yeah. I, I think honestly, I find this movie muddled. I okay. think it is, um, that thing that he preaches so strongly of like have a goal and get to it is oh gotcha is at least in a material sense not that clean because we're both looking for this fugitive and then he's on this murder case but the actual murder case turns out to really not be the issue it is more about no. it's about the know. abstract in this one yeah yeah and uh, I, I frankly I just kind of find it unsatisfying in a, in a okay. certain uh, level and. There are some very good scenes. There's a scene with him and, or a couple of scenes with him and Ricky Jay. Yeah. That are excellent. That, I mean, I don't know how much we want to say. Um, you know, spoiler wise, you know, when he, once he kind of is thrown in with the pro Zionist, Zionist um, you know, terrorist group, um, yeah. there are some electric scenes. Yes. Um, there are, I think, outside of uh, Montaigne and Macy and, and Rebecca Pigeon, too, a lot of people in this movie who don't know how to deliver mammoth dialogue. Um, and, and so there, I think there's a higher percentage of those robotic performances than okay. in other, sure. um, you know, the, the family of the murdered woman comes to mind. Um, the, yeah, a little bit, the, uh, Hasidic, uh, scholar he runs into at one point gives a very, oh, I actually loved that. Really? I loved the exchange about the star. Um, that was it's, very moving to me, but yeah. Oh, I, it's very, it, the, the dialogue in that scene is very interesting, mm -hmm. you know? Um, I don't know. I just, I feel like it, it's it's trying to be about so many things that it skips along the surface of a lot of stuff, you know? Okay, the, uh, I can see that a little. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't know. There's a, there's a, a chilliness to it that I, I yeah, I just. Uh, yeah. The, the thing that <laughs> it popped out again, watching it this time is the last scene of the movie when we see hmm. the the murderer. There's a man you see at the beginning of the film who murdered his family, mm -hmm. and you see him again at the end. And I was like, wait, does this tie in? And it makes me have to like rewind that scene every single time. And I realize what he's doing. It's going back to his speech about the nature of evil. Should yeah. I tell you the nature of evil? Like, no, then I'm out of a job. And, you know, there's... He's playing with some big ideas. I don't know if he's wholly successful, but I really admire him for trying to do something a little different than the con men that we'd seen so far, even though I fair. love the con men. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's fair. I think that perhaps, um, you know, I, 
he he learns how to master later on um, dealing with abstract ideas and what to withhold and what not to withhold. And yeah, I think I agree. presented from the cop side, he winds up withholding too much and and it makes the film feel a little yeah a little muddy in my opinion but um yeah yeah also you know i when we see that guy at the end of the film i kept waiting for him to answer yeah i was waiting for the payoff and i think that's part of the reason why i have to rewind it twice every time like wait (laughs) did i miss something so yeah i can see that well skipping past oleana because that film is just exhausting if (laughs) the first few movies we mentioned could be described the joe montania period the next three mammoth movies we decided to cover today could easily be dubbed hello rebecca pigeon Although I was very familiar with Glengarry Glen Ross, the feature film, which for a while there basically lived on the Bravo cable channel in the 90s and played nearly every week after Inside the Actor's Studio, which I watched religiously. The first movie besides that that I saw that David Mamet actually directed is still one of my very favorites, 1997's The Spanish Prisoner which Pigeon absolutely stole in a supporting role as the mysterious new Girl Friday with a serious crush on an inventor played by Campbell Scott. It's another elaborate con game movie that harks back to Mammoth's embrace of the MacGuffin, as well as his love of only telling the audience what they need to know and nothing more. The Joe Montaigne role in this, if you will, is taken on by Steve Martin as an enigmatic rich man who Joe encounters on vacation while worrying that he has been taken advantage of at work. He's invented a very valuable process that is worth a fortune. We don't know what the process is, but we don't need to know what the process is. That's kind of the point. Just like the characters in House of Games joked that they show Lindsay Krause's Margaret some old dinosaur cons, we know this film's Lindsay Krause, Campbell Scott, is being tricked. But we're never quite sure where it's coming from, who's involved, or how it will pay off. I adore this movie. I actually reviewed it for my high school paper because, yeah, that's how nerdy I was at 16. And I still love it just as much today. I know you're a fan as well. So what is your take on The Spanish Prisoner? And how do you see it as an example of an idea that you've chatted about in the past where you're arguing in favor of intricate plots? Well, yeah, I, first of all, I, like you, I, I think I said this earlier, but um, this was the first David Mamet movie that I ever saw. Yeah. Um, and I saw it in the theater. I remember yeah. very clearly coming out of the theater. And not only was this the first David Mamet movie I ever saw, this was the first movie I'd ever saw that played with these ideas of MacGuffin, of mm-hmm. the well-made play, of the everything that comes up in the first half of the film unspools perfectly in the second half of the film. Um, you know, there's an early scene, like you said, they where Ricky Jay introduces the concept of the process. And all we know about the process is, is that it's extremely valuable. And yes. we are told it is extremely valuable, not by seeing a number, but by Ricky Perfect. Jay writing on a chalkboard and then seeing the very muted but real reaction mm-hmm. of the people in the room. And I had never seen anything like that. I, love I mean, that I think. So much. Um, I was completely blown away by this movie when I saw it. And. Um, I love it so, so much. And I do think it might not be the most enjoyable um, of, of Mammoth's movies. I think that would probably be Heist. Yep. But this is the best of them. And not only is it the best of them, but it is the purest. It is the one that most lives up to the ideals that he himself preaches, I think. Um, 
both in the the nature of like using cuts to tell the story. It's it's a it's visually done. You know, uh, so many things are just shown on screen and never mentioned. It's you know, the performances are. I think this is again. I think maybe heist you would say is the better cast, but this is a cast yeah. full of people. Color. Um, like Ben Gazzara. I mean, yeah. You don't, you know, he's he's so good at the Mammoth dialogue. Campbell Scott is so good at it. Steve Martin, him. yes, is so good in this film. And Rebecca Pigeon. So here's the thing about when I saw Rebecca Pigeon, and I was I was in college, I guess. Um, was I was like, why is this woman acting so weird and phony? Yeah, and that was my, you know, as a <laughs> twenty year old or whatever I was, that was my my response. Is why is this woman acting like like not like a human being? And here's what my answer is that I've come up over the years is Rebecca Pigeon in this movie, and this is all spoilers. Um, so sorry, because it's such a delightful movie to watch on Spool. And Spool is a woman in this movie. She is a con artist who has absolute disgust and contempt for people who aren't con artists. And ah. she is portraying, um, you know, as the secretary, as, as, the, as the Manic Pixie L.L. Bean girl, <laughs> is is a character that she has disdain for and she also has disdain for Campbell Scott and that's why there's such an air of artificiality to what she does yeah it's almost like Doris Day but like a weird version of Doris Day yeah yeah it's like she's challenging Campbell Scott to go like you're not you're not for real are you like yes. you're not, <laughs> you just said dog my cats people don't talk that no. way yeah funny old world and yeah yeah some of her lines oh. and like things like isn't that just wouldn't that be just like me like how would he know that yeah but she because she's presenting this big caricature of a person and to mm -hmm. the point of like i live above the sun sunshine, sunshine bakery. bakery yep wouldn't um, that just be me yeah and there's a few moments you know there's a moment where she goes there to be to seduce him and she starts playing it sexy and you almost go, Oh, this is a con woman who this is the role she normally yeah. plays. It's a much, she feels much more natural all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, and then at the end of the film, it's such a great moment when she's really kind of running out of steam, pretending to be this Pollyanna. And it's just like, well, shucks. Ain't that yeah. the way? Gee, Joe. Yeah. Gee, Joe. And then she looks at his face and she goes, Oh, it's not working anymore. I can quit. Yeah. Yeah, and, and she drops it, and and that's where I go. Oh no, you're a really good actress who has made again made this choice to be artificial, um, in a way that you know is off putting at first, frankly. Um, yeah, and she doesn't, as you say, drop it until she knows she has to. She doesn't yeah. what they said in House of Games crack out of turn. Yeah, until finally, and I love that so much. Yeah, I actually got a kick out of her pitch to him when mm -hmm. you said when she was coming to seduce him, but just the way she just delivers it. Like, I'm not bad to look at. What do you say? Like, mm -hmm. it's almost like, yep, I'm supposed to do this. I'm just doing it. You're a Boy Scout. They've kind of been catering that idea and feeding it out that he was a Boy Scout. And, you know, oh, you're such a gentleman. And it's, it cracks me up. I think watching it again and mm -hmm. again, you realize just how good she really is. I no, I agree. I think she is great. And I think that, you know, as far as like, you know, the, the plot goes, this is, there's no scene where Campbell Scott has a conversation with somebody and they go, you know, you have this tremendous amount of pride 
um, because you believe in the meritocracy mm-hmm. and you think you're getting taken advantage of because you have earned this giant wealth. N- nobody ever says that. It, it's just no. what the film is about. It really is. Yeah. And, and, and so the con works because that's what they play on. Yep. Um, and to me, again, like I, I, you know, I often speak out about how I think that modern reality contest shows are better TV than most scripted TV. We've heard him on the challenge and RuPaul's Drag Race. Is there another one you want to bring in here? No, I mean, those are, you know, (laughs) those are the two best ones in my opinion, but like, and obviously they cheat because they do have those, uh, what they call them confessionals where you, you get to explicate what's going on. But still, I, I just maintain that you want to know who somebody is. You watch them perform um, towards reaching a goal. Okay. That yeah. and that is and that's the essential argument that Mamet makes too is is that you know a speech or a tick or a backstory does not create a character. A character is is habitual action, mm-hmm. and it's action when essentially nobody is watching or you can't care that somebody is watching because you have to execute this goal. And that's how you find yeah. out who somebody really is, and therefore you don't need to write a big backstory where you find out that his mom praised him in school for his intelligence. Save the cat. No. Exactly. You don't have to do <laughs> any of that stuff. You just show the characters. And, you know, I, I think the other thing upon rewatching all of these movies in a row is this is probably the one with the least amount of, of really elevated mammoth dialogue. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, there's some hyper stylized stuff, but exactly. I, I, there, it's mostly contained to um, Ricky Jay, mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, who is great in a very small role yeah um too small (laughs) it is too small um and um rebecca pigeon who's given Mm -hmm. this again like this big choice but like steve martin just no his -hmm. his talk isn't flowery campbell scott ben gazara um and and so it really does i think this is probably the purest drama um as as mammoth would define it in in all of his work because it is there are very clear goals there are very clear Yep. Um, you know, attitudes and then it just unfolds. Yeah. So yeah. But I think it's it's if not the most enjoyable, it's the it's the best of these. Okay. Definitely. It's I think it's his superior con game for sure. Mm. It's it's that thing that he was always trying to do. Heist is the one I'm gonna watch the most, but yeah, this is great. Well, besides The Winslow Boy, which was an adaptation of another play, the one-two punch for Rebecca Pigeon after The Spanish Prisoner was in Mammoth Satirical. A very funny spin on Capra and Sturges in the ensemble comedy Stayed in Maine, starring Philip Seymour Hoffman, William H. Macy, Alec Baldwin, Sarah Jessica Parker, and more from 2000. And my own personal favorite Mammoth movie, 2001's Heist, starring Gene Hackman, Delroy Lindo, Sam Rockwell, Ricky Jay, Danny DeVito, and more. Two tonally different movies, but with the same trademark wit, highly quotable lines, and a killer cast. I enjoy them both for very different reasons, but Heist is easily the Mammoth movie that I watch the most. Exuding goodness in the behind the scenes Hollywood comedy stayed in Maine. Pigeon is the sweet, brainy, small town love interest of, of course, a David Mamet like playwright turned screenwriter Philip Seymour Hoffman. But in Heist, 
She's Hackman's wife and partner in crime who he threatens to push a little too far in his pursuit of a big score. So what's your impression of these films and the start of Mamet's filmography in the new century? Oh, well, I mean, they're both great movies. <laughs> they really are. I, uh, I watched State in Maine last night and um, yeah, it's, it's so just, much fun. It's so much fun. And yeah. I appreciate it much more um, having worked in Hollywood for a while. And, and there, there's so many characters in it that, you know, the, uh, the first AD who um, is the one whose wife is pregnant yes. um, and how friendly he is with like the star. That's who the, those guys are always buddies. And like, um, just like the, yeah, it's uh, William H. Macy is fantastic in this movie. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman. I mean, oh, love him. I mean, yeah, he's amazing. It's a very low key role. It is. Um, what he does, I think probably better than anybody in this entire filmography is feel like a totally completely rounded human being who is not in a David Mamet movie. He does. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it's like effortless. He just delivers the dialogue. Like he's a guy who talks this way again it's not like overly done but he he's so good and and again it's that thing of like people sink or swim in these movies and, mm-hmm. and you know is the best actor of his generation he swam absolutely yeah <laughs> uh, he feels more real like a well-rounded person who just happened to walk into this world yeah yeah um which is not always you know the case he, you know even with people like, you know, William H. Macy is great. He's so hard bitten. He knows he's in, like you said, a Capra film. He's not yes. playing a, a person. Um, Alec Baldwin isn't playing a person. No. Um, the Towns- oh, I was going to say Sarah Jessica Parker just kills me in this one too. She's yeah. very funny in it. Very funny. Um, the townspeople are intentional caricatures. Um, yeah. To the point that the, the movie people are constantly staring agog <laughs> <laughs> at, at, the, at the folksiness yes. that, that is that is around them um and uh no it's great rebecca pigeon is great but this is really the one where i came up with like th- that she is um a, a manic pixie dream girl wearing ll mm-hmm. bean um she is so charming and whimsical and understanding and caring and ready to throw aside her fiance at a moment's notice yeah for this guy <laughs> And, and, you know, when her play gets canceled, she's not mad about it, which there's a whole other version of this character who would have been pretty mad. I know. She's like a mammoth Cameron Crowe character in this yes. movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and you know, again, it's, it's uh, mammoth loves his wife and bless him yes, for it. Yes, of course. Um, but he does write her in these different styles of, of being idolized. And, mm-hmm. and this, to me, even though it's a great love story and, and you know, yeah, he, he's very honest in his way that he just keeps preventing them from kissing throughout the movie in a very knowing rom-com. Very Uh, much. uh, I guess, you know, you kind of have to pause for a moment and and acknowledge that this is a movie that is exceedingly cavalier about statutory rape. Very much. Yeah. And that Julia Stiles character is presented as a seducer seducer it is mm-hmm. it is lolita without the irony no um and uh we are we are i think supposed to watch this and go wow she really had that coming and <laughs> you know and then when she accuses him of it we're not even supposed to think that that was the right thing to do because she we're does it out be of mad. yeah yep. out of sexual jealousy mm-hmm. um so then you know yeah and, and that was a choice <laughs> that was a choice and, and given that right i'm correct styles is in oleana right 
Uh, Isn't she in the film or is it not her? Um, no, but but Styles was in the newer plays. Um, she like brought the play to life. I think she played opposites Bill Macy in a London production. Oh, okay, maybe that's yeah. what I'm thinking of. Yeah. I'm just like that. that she, I think it was she, Deborah. Was it Eisenstadt? Something like that. That amazing. sounds right. I think you're. Yeah. Yeah, but um, no, look, it's 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 very unlike Mammoth's movie in that the protagonist is literally the film crew, not any particular person. And the goal is to like get this movie made. And so it does have um, a thing. Oh, you know what? I meant to bring this up. This is an aside. One thing Mamet does that, that I find irritating is he cheats. And here's how he cheats. In the scene, and there's a scene and it's so good when it plays out uh, in The Spanish Prisoner where Campbell Scott is uh, joins a club at Steve Martin's behest, a very fancy dinner club. And yes. they show him signing this golden piece of paper and Martin even makes a joke about it, like, what, we're not electing him Pope, we're just getting mm-hmm. him in the club. And then later in the film, you learn that, in fact, he was signing a request for citizenship in Venezuela. Yep. And this is evidence that he was going to flee the country. And, and in fact, Steve Martin has played this prank on him. In the, scene, in the scene where he signs it, the document clearly reads, like, club membership. He cheats because it mm-hmm. should say... It should like he could co- covered it with his hands and and uh, yeah yeah, and in this there's a scene where the mayor invites the the director and star to dinner and it is written on a board. Oh, that drives me nuts when I watch. Yes, and a woman wipes it off and then rewrites it. And mm-hmm. instead of writing it on Tuesday when it happens, she writes it on Wednesday. Except for in the scene where she rewrites it, she rewrites it on Tuesday. Yeah, then he just moves it to Wednesday later on, and um, it's a different color and. My rationa- rationalizing it was like, watch, somebody else deleted it by accident and then redid it. So in my brain, I can like see maybe where it was going. But yeah, she does correct it. And yeah, yeah, that drives so, me and it, It's just that's such a little aside. But I think by his own, you know, belief in um, misdirection and, and magic yeah. and things, he should have had the courage to, to shoot it the way it actually happened. Yeah. And then trust in his ability to not have anybody read between the guy's fingers when he's pushing the membership card across Mm -hmm. Um, the way that Steve Martin is counting on Campbell Scott's character to not read it. Yeah. Um, It's such a small thing, but um, don't drop the con or don't, you know, follow the play. Come on. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think that um, it's, it's just, it's a fun, funny movie. Mm -hmm. And he, it's a high watermark for a lot of what he does. I think heist is probably mm-hmm. the other side of the high watermark um, of his just playful, forget all these rules, forget all this yep. stuff. I mean, obviously there are tons of his, his ticks in, in heist, if, if we want to pivot to heist, but yeah. um, where I say, you know, Spanish prisoner, I think is his purest film. This is the one where, he really hit the high water mark as far as his dialogue goes. It doesn't get better than this. Oh, not at all. Nope. I mean, every time I tweet that I watch it and I watch it way too much, I will get like 30 replies, usually with the same few lines. And they're right. usually the Ricky J lines. 
I think Jed hit me with one of my favorites about the never like the Swiss, that whole speech. Yeah, yeah. Yes. You cuckoo clock motherfuckers. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I know. Go sell chocolate. Yeah. Yeah. You hidey motherfuckers. Yeah. We've got your gold. We've got your gold. And then, um, you know, my motherfucker's so cool when he goes to sleep. Sheep count him. Mm-hmm. She can talk her way out of a sunburn. Go get her. Yeah. Just all of it. It's just perfect. To me, and again, you talk about people show up in these movies and they sink or swim. Obviously, look, Gene Hackman is one of the oh, all-time greats. Yes. And, and not to bypass him, he's amazing in this movie. He's amazing. Yeah, um, the, the line I love is at the end with his, uh, the whole standoff with him and Delroy Lindo. First of all, it seems like he and Delroy Lindo have been like best friends yes. for 30 years. Yes. You just immediately buy it, even though on the surface, you wouldn't think that they would mesh that well. They do. But I love his whole thing opposite Danny DeVito with like, will you ought and point a gun at me? It's insincere. Just <laughs> he has this lightness and this deafness. And when I watched that and then I watched Spartan, which it was kind of like, that's what was missing a little yes. bit. Like you don't need to go overboard, but we need a little levity. And I think <sighs> they're able to build it in and make it more real for yeah, they are kind of smart asses. This is what they do. Yeah. I think, no, he is fantastic. But if, pound for pound, the person who is, I think, the best in this film is Danny DeVito. He is great. Oh, my gosh. We he, as rational men. I love that. Too. Yes. Um, everyone needs money. That's why they call it call money. It money. I get that line. All, I get people asking me, what does that mean? And it's like, <laughs> it's it's like that's what it means. To, yes. That's what it means. It, it it is not a logical statement. It is it no. is a, a fucking it's great line. My cats. Yeah. Yes. Um, he is. I I do think probably pound like I just said pound for pound, but like I think this might be the most talented cast of any of these films. From I mean Absolutely. again, Del, Delroy Lindo. Oh. Um, yep. Why Why did the chicken cross the road? Because the road crossed the chicken. Yes. Um, <laughs> He's so good. Yeah, Ricky Jay, uh, all the cuckoo clock stuff, the um, cuter than a pail full of kittens. Um, yeah. Like, uh, it's just, and, and yeah, and, and Pigeon is great in it. And um, this one, and again, I don't fault him. And look, Rebecca Pigeon is, is a beautiful woman, but like, he really goes overboard with everybody. Everyone who walks Everyone in the scene. Everyone is in <laughs> love with her pretty little life. I do get a kick out of her reactions to those moments. Mm-hmm. Like the guy that wants to buy the boat, who's always dropping the Italian for arrow thing. Mm-hmm. He does have a thing about Italians, which cracks me up as an Italian American, because it's like, yeah, ma'am, you want to be Italian. We get it. And we understand. <laughs> yes. But um, the, the thing that cracked me up is when he kept going pretty little wife and she like, she just, that's not going to translate on a podcast, but her dazzled, (laughs) but also amused, but also, well, I know how to work this guy kind of thing that she does is great. Like when she first encounters Sam Rockwell. Yeah. And I love, cause men are oblivious. Usually when it's their woman, like sometimes they'll get that other guys flirt, but they won't. As soon as she is in the same proximity with Sam Rockwell, she knows how to get this dude just you know as day is long mm-hmm. and that night when he comes back and he encounters them they're like why was he here she's like guys you know i love that yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> no and she is really good and you're right she she because she has that sense of irony that she brings to like so many of these performances she can't do a femme fatale 
no. the way Sharon Stone would do it. No. Um, which is also excellent. All due respect to oh, Sharon God, Stone. Oh, God, I love Sharon. Yeah. But um, there always has to be this wink to it and this, mm-hmm. like, no, I'm actually smarter than this, but then, I'm going to play along. Yeah. And I um, think with Ricky Jay here, this is his most, like, you understand Mammoth's great affection for him mm. is in this movie because, spoiler alert, he gets killed off. And even before that, like, he has a, a niece that he's doting on and you're like, well, he's just a big teddy bear. Yeah, he breaks the law, but he's a teddy bear. I mean, because it's mm-hmm. Ricky Jay. And I think you see him and you know he's a hard ass, but you want to like run and hug him anyway. And this movie, you get that man. It's like, yes, he is like that. We all love Ricky and uses that to pay off. And I think really brilliantly. No, I think that's right. And I think it's the most, he's given the most like kind of, again, like uh, it is almost a saves the cat thing of like, he has the he, niece. He has the niece. Yes. It and, is and a little it, save the cat-ish, but, but in a good way. In a good way. And just a little, little dollop of it in a movie that doesn't have very much of it. Um, exactly. You know, and I think the the pleasures of, of the movie are so forward that it does make up for things that aren't as good that I think like Spanish Prisoner is a better twist and turn movie. I think the, okay. the twists and turns in this movie get so baroque at one point that it's sort of ludicrous with the painting of the gold with the painting of the gold and yes, I mean, I mean, a little bit you, you couldn't have just stashed them someplace or like i know yeah rented a storage locker you knew um, they were coming in at that moment like yeah yeah but um but it still works and and, and i yeah. agree with you that this is probably the movie of of his that i watched the most yeah um i was just when i was uh i was looking at amazon uh, when I watched the Spanish prisoner and, and somebody said, I was just looking at the reviews that were right at the top and, and the person at the top said, I love this movie, but it's not a movie I can put on in the background while I do something else, which is very true of the Spanish prisoner. Yeah, you kind exactly. of have to, and that's like the, the beauty of it is that it, it mm-hmm. rewards. And that was that thing that I was so in love with the first time I watched it was like, it, it paid off all the, all the deep watching that you did. Um, Heist is a movie you can watch while you're doing something else. Oh, um, absolutely. But I will stop what I'm doing and just get right into it. Oh, for sure. But I say the pleasures of it are all just kind of that surface level pleasure of, yeah. of these people talking to each other in, in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's a, this is a, you know, sometime, what year is this? This is, was it 2001? 2001. So, mm-hmm. you know, we haven't really talked about and, and, and with, we don't have to go too far into this, but you know, he also does a lot of writing for stuff he doesn't get credit for. So the other big victory script wise in this era between Ronan and Ronan. Yes. yes. Um, and if you haven't seen Ronan, I mean, my God, go, go see yes. Ronan. And I love for the record, Jordan brought up a movie with Robert De Niro. It's not me. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and um, he wrote untouchables, but anyway, he did write untouchables and, and yeah. I, I must have known this when it came out, but around this period, he also wrote the movie Hannibal, which was not a movie I particularly liked. But, no. Um, oh, yeah. But, um, you know, again, Ronan is, is, fits more cleanly into this, like, genre that we're talking about, or, or his normal body of work than, than a lot of his other writing gigs. And mm-hmm. so it, it's worth calling out because it also does this story very, very well. And I think is again, structurally better than heist. Um, but, um, but not as much fun. No. 
as heist. I mean, the car chase, that's a whole different level. But yeah, 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 that's a different yeah. thing. But, um, but uh, yeah, he's really, this is, a, this is the high water mark right here. You're talking, um, you know, he was working constantly at this mm-hmm. point. Um, you know, he's really putting out stuff at Clip. And it's interesting how quickly that comes to a, uh, a stop. It um, is. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm glad you brought up Ronin because I feel like thematically and stylistically, it kind of weaves right into Spartan. Mm-hmm. Like maybe taking this historical uh, mercurial kind of role that he wanted to do with his man mm-hmm. and his honorable man. And um, I think Ronin does it much better. But Spartan is watchable. So this brings us to the last movie that we wanted to take on. We can talk about other ones, of course. But Mammoth's 2004 film, Spartan, which does feature some of his most frequently utilized players, like Liam H. Macy, Clark Gregg, who I keep forgetting to bring up, but he's been in a lot of these that we've discussed. It also brings in some new stars, like Derek Luke and Tia Texada and headliner Val Kilmer as an army ranger on a mission to locate a high-profile young American woman played by Kristen Bell. This was either right around the time she did Veronica Mars or like coincided it or just before. He needs to get her back before she's lost completely either in a sex trafficking pipeline or as part of a larger conspiracy. An emotionally cold but dramatically gripping movie As a thriller, though, it really moves, locking you into the narrative so quickly that you don't have too long to think, wait, does that even make sense before (laughs) you've moved like three scenes past it? Kind of like reading his books at times. This is still Mammoth's last good movie. It's also the one that I would most love to recast. As wonderful as Val Kilmer is in the right roles like Top Gun and Heat, he misses the mark here a little bit for me. Weirdly, this fact became more evident the more I watched the film. Seeing it again this time after watching so many other Mammoth movies leading up to it, I realized how much we do need a Joe Montaigne, a Gene Hackman, Delroy Lindo, or even an Alec Baldwin in that role. In Spartan, he has some lines that need to be said with that tough but tongue-in-cheek half-smartass half-humorous approach that Gene Hackman in particular can do in his sleep. And instead, Val Kilmer just bulldozes right through them. And I think the film really needs those missing moments of levity. It's almost like there are a few mini movies in the overall movie that have been strung together here in Spartan. It doesn't always work, but it is a twisty thriller. I've enjoyed enough to see it a handful of times. So what are your thoughts? I know we talked a little bit about it, but this where you think Mammoth started to lose it and lose his narrative hold. I think, yes, I think it is. I, again, I think as good a movie as it is, Heist, you can start to see some fracture lines in his, his plotting. Okay. And look, this kind of writing is very, 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 very hard. Um, ornate, like intricate plots are very, very difficult. You yeah. have to get whiteboards out. You have to get cards <laughs> out. Like you cannot fake this or you can, but like yeah. it comes to out. To do it well. Yeah. <laughs> to do it well, you know? And I think this is the movie where I, A, I agree with you. I think um, the robotic lines and, and this idea that he is a, a unfeeling soldier needs a person who feels a bunch underneath. 
Yeah. Um, you know, you, you, that's a kind of thing that you would get in like a, a samurai movie, which is, this is clearly dead to. Yeah. Um, and again, I'll, I'll do you the favor and say it like, like Robert De Niro and Ronan who mm-hmm. plays a very similar character of somebody who is just all business. We're just here to talk mm-hmm. about, we, we just want the case. All we want is the case. This, all we want is the girl. Um, but, but Robert De Niro brings enough of himself along and, and just literally while you were talking it made me start thinking about this has Val Kilmer have, can you think of a movie where he plays a warm, affable person? Wow. You know, that's a good question. Maybe his comedies in the eighties. Like, I mean, a little, I think about but real not geni- really, not really like not in real no. genius anyway. Top secret. I'm trying to remember. Top secret, not, I mean, no. and I think you, you need to bring that as a counterbalance. Need a little warm. Yeah. And look, you know, we can get into, we've, we've sidestepped a lot of Mamet's politics in this discussion. Oof. Yeah. This yeah. was around the time where he really started to, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, he, so much of his, his work is about finding these people to idolize and mm-hmm. writing about them. And there's a guy, and I do not remember his name, but there's a, a special forces guy mm-hmm. who, who Mamet became very attached to. And he kind of buys the lines that this guy sells him hook, line, and sinker. That like that 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 there are Spartans who are good warriors who just go in and they are the sheepdogs who protect yes. us from the wolves. And if he is betrayed, he is betrayed by Clinton standards. Let's be clear: the plot of this film, I just want to say it out loud, is that a Hillary Clinton or no, sorry, a Chelsea Clinton stand-in yeah. was kidnapped from college. Because she dyed her hair, that always bothers because me. She dyed her, she dyed her hair, and so nobody recognizes that she is the first daughter of the United States. Yeah, and she is sold to Middle Eastern sex slaves, right? Yes, yes, and um, and that the parents, the president of the United States, and his wife, who again are clearly supposed to be Clinton mm-hmm. uh, stand-ins, know about it, and chose to instead pretend she is dead and hope that she just dies in the Middle East and nothing bad ever happens. And it's crazy, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and the only person standing between them is Al fucking is Kilmer. Al Kilmer. <laughs> yes. um, and it's, it's ludicrous in the extreme. And, and, um, and the movie really falls apart, in my opinion, in the second half. It um, does, yeah, the last act of it, too. I just looked up Val Kilmer out of curiosity hmm. Um, I think the warmest we're going to get, and you have to like put an asterisk there, is Tombstone Doc Holiday, which I adore him in that. Oh, and, yeah, he's great. Uh, Kisses Bang Bang. But mm. he's even the straight man there to Robert De Niro or Robert Downey Jr. Mm. And yeah, he he's not the warmest guy. I think you're onto something there, Jordan. <laughs> well, yeah. Again, it's just, it's it's the danger that he preaches against in so many other cases of putting a hat on a hat on a hat. He kind of Good just point. wants um, he wants different elements of a piece to play against each other, and not go in concert. One thing he says that is something I stole, and not I don't even know if I even knew I was quoting Mamet, but I saw it in the books again. Uh, going over them now is that like um, if you're building a car. The seat doesn't have to look like a car. It has to look like a seat. The steering wheel has to look like a steering wheel. You don't, like if you're making a horror movie, you don't have to have a scary soundtrack with a scary scene and a scary way of talking and a scary this and a scary that. You no just funny need, voices. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think the problem with this character and this performance is that it's so flat and affect. 
Um, there are some lines. He, he also, the, the dialogue isn't as good. No. Um, there's one line that sticks out to me at, and maybe knife. in, what's that? I was going to say, was it the knife fighting? Yes, the knife fighting. Yes. Um, which is the woman uh, says that they're teaching, she's teaching knife fighting to soldiers. And he says, don't you teach them knife fighting. You teach them how to kill. That way, when they meet someone who's learned knife fighting, they'll send their souls to oh, hell. hell. Yes. <laughs> and that is, I mean, there, that's, that, there's a, that's a long road. Yeah. That is a long <laughs> road. And, and send their souls to hell is such a Baroque thing. You need to wink when you say that. I know it's actually reminds me of Tombstone, but the line is given to Kurt Russell, you know, like, tell him Scan I'm that. coming. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, in, in, in Tombstone, it's, I, I know that maybe they did used to say skin that smoke wagon and see what happens. Yeah. That doesn't mean you can say it in a movie. No. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, 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 without eliciting a laugh. Um, yeah. Oh, and hell is coming with me, but that's catchier, not send their souls to hell. That's no. It doesn't even sound good rhythmically um, if you're beating it out on a desk, like to, because you kind of almost think that's what he's doing sometimes in his earlier stuff. Like, what sounds good? What is the rhythm? Yeah, this one's missing some of that rhythm. Yeah, yeah, and you know, look, um, Val Kilmer's prickly on set. Everybody knows that. I think. Yeah, and Mamet again. I think. My theory is, and it seems like is, is that Mamet kind of lets you sink or swim as far as acting mm-hmm. goes. Yeah, and um, it really, it it really drags the the, the movie down. Um, more, by the way, though, this is a fairly new opinion of mine. I think I I like this movie more when it first came out. Okay, I think I did too. It didn't bother me as much Kilmer wise. It's only on the revisits that I'm like, you know, it just he's not. I was buying it as, yes, he is a no-nonsense soldier and yeah. you know, I have cousins who are Marines and it's like, yeah, that's kind of what they're like when they're in or they're just out. But no, you need a little Gene hackman Yeah. Well, you know, you brought up Clark Gregg, who is, again, in I think every single one of these movies almost, this is the one where he has the biggest role yeah, of these movies, right? Yeah, this or State in Maine, maybe. Oh, uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. He's a, yeah, you're right. State in Maine is bigger. He's better in this. Oh, yes. This is, to me, He's the proto... Some- the prototypical Clark Gregg role. Yeah. This is the role that he would go on to play in so many other yeah. uh, movies because he's better at it than Val Kilmer is. He really is in his scenes. You're just like, can I follow this guy for a while? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I don't know if Mamet would have ever thought like Clark Gregg should have played this role, but like Clark Gregg would have done better. Yeah. And would go on to become very famous and playing an essentially a version of this role in the Marvel movies and then TV mm-hmm. show. Like this is where yeah. Clark Greg kind of stood out. Um, and again, like there are things with this movie that work. I mean, you know, we talk about how wonderful it is. You never learn what the process is and, and you don't, you know, he likes to cover these things up. There, there's an obtuseness to this where nobody goes, the first daughter is missing. That starts to feel like yeah. intentional. Yeah. You would think some of her friends at school or, I mean, this was before social media, really, but Mm -hmm. the internet still existed. And yeah, it was a bit much. You're like, you know, wouldn't her roommate or her floor mate or somebody the next day, Mm -hmm. or they would have to like lock her boyfriend who they had the weird spat, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There are some issues there. Definitely. 
and the the movie does kind of go down this path that is really enjoyable for a while of watching a police procedural in a way that is like, what if, forget dirty cops, what if there were no rules at all? And Very true. Yeah, that's know, what it's like. And, and it's fun to watch up until the point where Val Kilmer poses as a, um, as a prisoner and, yeah. and in a jailbreak, which is ludicrous, but I, I, I'm with the movie to that point. And then once that part ends and they proclaim that Kristen Bell's character is dead, um, mm-hmm. and then the film has to kind of keep going on its own, um, I think it falls, it becomes a standard action movie by the end of the film. It does. The one scene I really like a lot, and uh, my friend Rob Belushi knows the actress, I'm blanking on her name, but she plays the quote-unquote mother figure to Kristen Bell, the Mm. the Secret Service officer. I think she is really good. That's another character where you're like, you know, this is an interesting, what if she had been the protagonist? And Mm -hmm. this girl that I care about is missing, I'm the only one who gives a shit. And what if she'd hired somebody or yeah. I don't know, that might've been interesting, but yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. That would have, that would have been better or more interesting. It's, it, it really just, and again, that's when you get confronted with this idea that the president and his wife know that their daughter is in sexual slavery in the middle East. And they're just really hoping it doesn't come back up. Yeah. Or else they're just, they know what they've been told and they don't want to think that much about it or they don't care. Yeah, I mean, that scene, that woman seems pretty convinced that like, that they are monsters. And, oh God, yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I guess maybe they don't know exactly, but their handlers are covering up some of it. But I yeah, mean, these are assholes. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and again, like I, you know, it, it's still a better movie than a lot of other films oh, God, in, the, yes. in the world. And and I would say it's worth watching. It's it's certainly near the bottom of, of these movies that we're talking about. Um, mm-hmm. But it really does hint at what is coming in, in mm-hmm. Mamet's career, which is uh, a disillusion. Red <laughs> well, Red Belt, but also be- between, I think between Red Belt and this is The Unit, um, which was his disastrous I, TV show. I never saw that. You sent it me w- that wonderful memo, which I actually thought was, I don't know if it actually was achieved on their show, but you wrote this really engaging, thoughtful memo about how he wanted the show to be like it was kind of like to pump up the writers and I thought it was really kind of cool but I guess it didn't work for his show I mean there are moments of 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 the unit that work um yeah the unit tv memo that he sent out to his writers is is uh, I don't know what is it like three pages long it's long and it is a well I mean for what he's teaching he's he's kind of telling you how to write good drama Mm -hmm. in the shortest amount of time possible which um you know, forget about how that it plays. Like a TV is not a dream the way that movies can be a dream. Mm-hmm. And TV drama really does function best when he, again, the way he talks about it, theoretically, not the way that the unit is executed. There is a, if I may say this, a misogynist's idea of equality at the heart of the unit, which is it, okay. is, a, it is a TV show that is equally split between a unit of Val Kilmer-like Spartan warriors who <laughs> fly around the world and save the world from terrorism and take down bad guys and, and gunfights. And the other half is about their wives back on the base and they fight about things like bake sales. Okay, gotcha. And so- <laughs> The story of the wags, yes. And yes, oh. and, uh, and you can do a TV show about army wives. 
You absolutely could. And you can make a very good show about it. But what you cannot do is try and counterbalance the drama of disarming a nuclear bomb with no. the bake sale. It, it diminishes women so much yes. by, by playing with those stakes at the same time, as opposed to just doing a really interesting show about women, but he's not capable of that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and the other thing that really hurts um, uh, the the unit is it is populated by the kind of actors you get on CBS. Dennis Halbert's in it, and he's, he's that's how you say his name. Uh, okay. He's good. Cool. Um, but right? yeah. But um, but the the rest of the cast is is not so good, mm -hmm. and it just doesn't work at the end of the day. But what he's pushing back against is, is the kind of stuff that, as somebody who worked for CBS myself, very familiar with of of can we lay in how long the couple was married? You know, like so you're writing an episode where the <laughs> husband dies and you're interviewing yeah. the wife, and the executive will be like, can can we find out how long they've been married? And yeah. The truth of it is, it doesn't matter. Matter. Married. Yeah. He's dead. Like I'm having breakfast with you because we've been married 17 years. So he kind of gives an example of that and something he wrote. Is yeah. it the, the three ways to use the knife? Something. I think like, it's in three ways to uh, yeah three uses yeah, of the knife. Three uses of the knife, where you know everybody's explaining things too much. The one <laughs> there were a couple takeaways from the unit memo that I will link to in this post for everyone. But the one that made me laugh really hard was anytime two characters talk about a third, it's a crock of shit. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was, I mean, it's an oversimplification, but it's a good practice in theory. Like, you know, don't just tell us, show us, or are we with the right people we need to be with in order to get the most out of the scene? Or how could it be even more effective? Yeah. So, no, yeah. I think because at the heart of it is if they're talking about a third person in the most broad sense, nothing is going to change because the person who is being talked about isn't in the room. No. You're just exchanging information. Now, obviously, you can come up with a million exceptions to that that rule. Yeah. Like you have a wife and a, a mistress. Mm -hmm. You could have a conversation about a husband that could do a lot yeah. of things dramatically, but yeah. that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about, you know, this is Amir Takshani. He's one of the biggest terrorists ever. He went to here <laughs> and did that. And, and Mamet would just put a picture on a board and say, yep. this is Amat. We're looking for Amat. How are we going to find him? And then the yeah. scene becomes about the, 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 dra uh, the drama. And, and so it's a really good memo. And again, it comes back to, I really think, you know, Mamet's theoretical work can be taken um, on its own. Mm -hmm. And, and it, it's an extremely good counterbalance to a lot of things that, that are in ascendancy right now. And um, the lack of drama and dramatic television is uh, a huge problem, in my opinion, right now, I think. Um, I agree with you. Uh, it was interesting because I think you said you weren't the biggest fan of on directing film. And for me, the book shouldn't even be called that. It's storytelling. Mm -hmm. So you mm -hmm. said he doesn't write about how to write dialogue. But he's always, even in his, his acting books, he's going into how to tell stories the best way he knows how. And I feel like on directing film should have just a different title and uh, kind of like the old mill. Why does it need mm. to be called on, yeah. on directing film? It shouldn't. But his stuff is always making you then when you watch it, look at it as, okay, you don't need to know what the process is. Okay. You don't need to know how this person arrived on the island, except that one. Yeah. And like the FBI agent, why are they there in Spanish prisoner or the faux FBI agent? So, yeah, I think it's 
it's good food for thought. You can't take it all literally, but mm -hmm. I think it does, especially for storytellers, give you a lot to start looking at in your own work and as you watch movies. I, I agree with you. And I also, I think that what you're saying that all of them are essentially just about storytelling is true of all of these books. It's true about the oh, action yeah. book. Yes. Um, it's true about, uh, obviously, uh, Three Uses of the Knife, um, mm -hmm. which I think has the most practical storytelling advice. Um, even just the, the most simple thing of all of like, you're, of course, you're having second act problems, but all second act problems are actually first act problems. Yeah. Like, is, is an incredibly valuable piece of information. I really like what he has to say um, about problem plays and and how morally empty moral art is. Um, I'm a big believer in that myself, um, that if you're just congratulating the audience on, on their good moral, oh, yeah, like, did you guys know racism was wrong? Yeah. Me too. Let's all feel good about <laughs> ourselves. Um, but that's, I like that a lot. Um, you know, there is good stuff in, in directing film. I think, and you're right, a lot of it is about storytelling. A, I find the format where he's going back and forth with these poor students to be a little, I just feel bad yeah. for all the students. I do too. Because they don't know that he's setting them up. A little yes. bit, yeah. Um, and his over-reliance on one form of interpreting Eisenstein's montage theory. A little that, bit, yeah. I mean, there are so many different ways to, to, to tie information together using cuts. Mm -hmm. And it goes to show his like constant beating of the drum of an uninflected shot. And, um, and, yeah. and it's like, I don't know, like an establishing shot isn't bad. Doesn't no, have to not he at doesn't all. do them, by the way. I no, mean, he does not. Um, because there's nothing to tie it. Why do you need to see where you are? And it yep. works fine, but like there's um, there's nothing wrong with them. And and no. um, yeah, so I think that's what, what drives me crazy about it is just these poor students where he's giving a lecture having established very clearly that he doesn't believe in um, film school. He then goes to film school to teach. Yes, yeah. That's also my issue with the acting book too, because almost like no act all acting schools are dumb but i'm going to tell you why and you know it's a little much and i mean i agree to a point any school though is good you bring in and you take out exactly what you need and i think that's important like it doesn't even matter where you go you can have the best experience the worst experience you just you get in what you put into it and i feel like there's a lack of respect a little bit in the acting well definitely in the acting part but for education when he himself is always you know when you see him in an interview well this phrase came from 1400s and it's like mm. oh where did you get that david that kind of stuff <laughs> yeah. no i agree i mean i don't know i think i have uh, i share a little of his disrespect for for craft schools and and the basic argument that like art is best made for the audience Mm -hmm. And with the audience in mind, which does not mean that you have to cater to them or, 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 or be dismissive of them. Um, I think that's valuable. I will say, and I think I mentioned this to you on offline. If, yeah, his book on acting is not a book on acting at all. No. Um, but there is a book on acting called A Practical Handbook for the Actor mm -hmm. that was put together by a group of acting students who had worked with uh, Mamet and William H. Macy in their um, in their acting workshop. And he actually, the book is actually the nuts and bolts of how you do the kind of acting that he talks about. And I think it's very worthwhile reading. Obviously it's, it's like not for everyone. It's esoteric, but like um, 
And again, it helps clarify how this is all just about storytelling. And it's actually maybe even more than a lot of his books helped me clarify that basic idea of what is this scene about? Mm-hmm. Break and, it down to its essence. Yep. Yeah, break it down to its essence. And like, what is this character trying to do? Okay, what is this character trying to do? And how do we know when the scene is over? And one of them has to, yep. Yeah, and then move on. And so I do recommend that. I have no idea what an actor would think of it, but I think I think I would love for more actors to to think in this style. Um, okay. I I wrote a, a mentalist script one time, and this was probably when I was at the height of my mammoth uh, influence, uh, where at the end of it, you have two people who definitely together committed the murder, but one of them blames the other and the other blames them. So they're they're pointing their finger at each other. She actually did the stabbing. No, he actually did the stabbing. And it doesn't matter because they're both going to jail. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the end of the script, like, um, you know, the Simon Baker's character is asked which one did it. And he said, it doesn't matter. And that's the end of it. And then I would have people in the crew would come up to me and say, hey, which one of them really did it? And I I would say, neither of them it's it's a script yeah. like there is no true answer like what is in the script is what happened there isn't uh-huh. a secret that exists outside of the script so yeah they, you probably they both, yeah. yeah you probably inspired like a hundred youtube videos this <laughs> is the definitive answer of what jordan harper meant no <laughs> <laughs> well and that is where like he would you know mammoth would tie in with with david lynch and and which i said there's very little lynch and David Mamet, where they would uh, certainly agree, is like, this is it. This mm-hmm. is the product. Um, yeah. You know, there's a f- famous internet, famous video out right now of somebody spent four hours explaining that, I have not watched it, this is my understanding, that Twin Peaks, when you watch all of it, you understand it's about gun control. Okay. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> and it, I'm sure I'm oversimplifying it, but like... Oh, Jesus. <laughs> but, but the one thing I'm sure of is whatever the guy spends four hours saying it is about, it is not. No, it is. It is about the thing that is on the screen, you know. Yeah. And, um. Anyway, that's that, that's definitely a side thought there, but um, it's yeah, a I, good it, one. Yeah, because it's like you're going to interpret. No two people are going to watch the movie the same way, but you don't definitively know what the creator meant, and maybe the creator, like you, it yeah. doesn't matter. Maybe they know themselves, and yeah, absolutely. And that it's, you know, I think where they would agree also is that that the answer is not with the audience and the answer is not with the author. Mm-mm. It is in that place between the two. Ooh, that's beautiful. You know? yeah. Well, no, but that's the truth. It's, 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 it's this interplay, this idea that the author gets to decide what it's about is clearly false, as anybody can see, mm-hmm. because people will tell you all the time what a thing is about and it's not what the author meant. Yeah. Um, but there's still an author intent. And I think it's, it's yeah, it's, it's in this non-existent space between the audience and the author where the truth is. And, and so that's <laughs> a long way of getting around to the fact that Red Belt is a terrible movie that w- neither of us rewatched, but boy, no, that's, a, that's bad. <laughs> um, I, I, uh, I, I, I only saw it once. I saw it in the theater. I think I rented it, but that's the last time I saw it. It was Chiwetel Ejiofor and... Yeah, yeah. And, and, it's just, so it's, I don't know what happened. Um, I don't know what happened to David Mamet that you start to see in Spartan. Um, by the time you get to Red Belt is fully, it, it's a mess of a movie. Um, it's not clear what his goal is. There mm-hmm. is a con in it that doesn't make any sense and is too ornate. 
And it's like, it, you guys went to this trouble to, if you recall, it's like I don't a woman shoots a, shoots a window out with a gun. Um, and then you learn later that the gun wasn't loaded and, and they actually attached an explosive to the window. And you know, it wouldn't have been just as easy to just have her shoot the gun anyway. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, at the same time, I have not seen any of his later plays or read them, but my understanding is people feel the same way about his modern plays that he's, um, mm-hmm. that, that it's uh, just bad now. And, and I don't know what happened. Yeah, I haven't read any of the new stuff either. I think the last time I did a whole binge of like all of his plays I could get my hands on was maybe 2002, 2003. Mm. So yeah, I'm yeah. not an expert on his newer stuff, but I, you know, I, I've just, I've heard nothing that's made me want to see them. Um, you no. know, I heard November was very, very bad. Yeah. Again, his, his politics started coming out more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, and he started kind of presaging the, the, the current vogue for like anti-wokeness. Yes. Um, that's what that, I was getting. Yeah. I even got that as far back as Oleana though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but well, again, you get much like how I was saying the the unit is a misogynist idea of quality. So is Oliana because he oh, thinks yeah. yeah he thinks he's writing this like, yeah. whoa, which one's right, which <laughs> one's wrong, and you watch it, and you go, no, I no, know. you you wrote a Harridan, like you wrote, yes, you hate this woman, you do not hate William H Macy, like it is clear, it is very clear because it's you know she picked on his wife that inspires yeah. the fight and oh yeah. my God, yeah. I learned yesterday, I told Jordan this off air, that he actually wrote that for Rebecca Pigeon. And mm-hmm. oh my goodness. Yeah, that was like, I think it was before they were married. He was involved with her. And I mean, it was a very quick turnaround of like, we got involved and then divorced Lindsay Krauss and married her. Mm-hmm. But it's, yeah, I can't imagine telling somebody Oh, I married, you know, he was married at the time, but look at this creepy as hell part. He wrote for me. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, not yeah. good. Like, hey, it's, friends, don't you want to come over? Yeah. <laughs> it's very weird. And it is. Um, yeah, I don't uh, know. And again, like, we haven't really touched on like the reoccurring theme of masculinity that was from Glengarry Glenn Ross throughout. Um, or Edmund or Lake Boat or yeah Jesus. yeah and and all the way through Spartan in the unit where he is yep. now palling around and Red Belt comes from his study of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu um, yeah and uh, and which I, you know I, I've done too and uh, yeah it, there's nothing wrong with it but like um, he's so fascinated with this idea of a masculinity. Um, but, you know, by the way, this is, uh, I, I don't know what it is. Clark Gregg is a huge Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy. Ed O'Neill oh, cool. is, who's in The Spanish Prisoner and is yeah. part of the school. Um, so it's all connected. But, like, um, mm-hmm. the, the, this desperate need for, for a masculine, uh, you know, kind of shield to these very unmasculine professions of writing and yeah. uh, directing. Well, even yeah. Ricky Jay studied martial arts way back yeah. in the day in college and Aikido. I think it was. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. It is. Yeah. In an interview, he said it helped him when he had to uh, pull his punch when he first fought uh, Joe Montaigne and Homicide. I was like, thank goodness I specialized in nearly hitting someone. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I guess it's, um, it's also a fake martial art, Aikido. Um, (laughs) But but that would make sense for him. That is the most Ricky Jay. Um, oh yeah, it's the art. Cart throwing art. <laughs> yeah, did you read his um, New Yorker profile? Yes, 
It's such anybody who's still listening should definitely check, um, it, check it out. It's it's a wonderful piece of writing. It gets very into the history of his relationship with Di Vernon, who is a fascinating character himself. And mm-hmm. uh, it's really, I mean, you know, Ricky Jay wrote books like uh, Learned Pagan Fireproof Women, such Wait, a cool yes. book. He, I, somewhere on here, I have his, his picture book where he collected dice that went back all the way to like ancient Egypt. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, really one of the coolest guys who's ever lived. And yeah. I was telling Jordan, I just watched the documentary on him that was made in say like 2010 or 2012. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. It's just such a nice tribute to him and the study of everything. Basically, his his scholarship mm-hmm. is just fascinating and how it came from being a child and he got it from his grandfather. He has issues with his parents. I mean, it's just a really beautiful portrait of him. So I would I, encourage everyone to check that out as well. Another thing that I think is available in its entirety on YouTube is Ricky Jay and his 52 assistants. I which was is, looking for that. Is it there? It used to be on YouTube. Okay. That's, um, yeah. And that is the Ricky Jay stage show that David Mamet directed. Yeah. So um, if you're really... Um, an uber nerd. Yeah. <laughs> An uber nerd. It's very much worth, uh, I guess, you know, talking about uber nerds, um, you know, obviously you and I are, are huge mammoth fans. I know a lot of other people are. I don't feel like you, we've talked about this body of work that is so unique and distinctive. He's not treated that way in American film. No, he really isn't. That's a good point. Yeah. And while I do not want to embrace the idea of anti-wokeness, I think that that has something to do with it um, a little bit. A little bit. When I was mentioning that we were going to do this, um, I actually pulled some posts off of uh, Facebook. I hate Facebook anyway. Mm. But I like, hey, I'm watching this. And I would just get peppered with people. You know about politics, right? Or you know about this. And it's like, yes, I do. I'm talking about a movie, though. Or I mean, you do have to keep that in mind when you're looking at the overall picture and his work. But it's like, can we just focus on this thing from like 30 years ago? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, look, I will, uh, we're not, I'm not gonna get into the Israel-Palestine issue on this Oh podcast. gosh, no, yeah. No, but like, <laughs> like, obviously like there are things to get mad about or not get mad about. Absolutely, but like, yeah. Um, and nobody, I'm certainly not making the argument he's been canceled, whatever, whatever that oh, means. Oh no, that doesn't but mean much. Yeah. It really doesn't. It's a silly, yeah. it's a silly idea, but like there is this idea that he's in the past and, and maybe he is, but these movies are great. And I think, you know, along with his political conservatism, which I'm not a fan of, I think no. that um, a little bit of artistic conservatism, it's not a bad thing. And, and no. this is when, you know, you talk about the impetus t- to us having this discussion was started with me saying, I really wanted to defend intricate plots. Yeah. And I, I really think that right now the, the discourse disfavors intricate plots. And there is an idea that somehow um, plot is worse than character. Um, mm-hmm. I, again, I, my fervent belief is that they are completely unified. And, you okay. know, look, um, it's something that is just a character study. To me, again, is you can totally do that. You can also make a movie like Bloodsport. They are equal, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, you are what you do. And it comes yeah. out, like you were saying, they're like married. Yep. And, and this, you could apply this to like, um, any of his writing advice you can apply it to anything. 99% of all writing advice or creative advice is don't do it shitty. So mm-hmm. like, you know, can you make an overly ornate plot 
that gets confusing and bogged down and people start doing math in their head. Absolutely, you can. But watch The Spanish Prisoner. You're never confused. No. You're never Everything confused. Everything is presented right there. Yeah. Yeah. You understand it perfectly because he does it really well. It's really hard to do. Watch Miller's Crossing. Like, I'll be honest, the first four or five times I saw Miller's Crossing in high school, yeah. I didn't really know what happened. But you know what? I didn't care. That is my philosophy even to this day. Like, if it's been a while since I watch it and I'm watching, I'm like, wait, what's happening again? And it's like, I don't care. I'm in love with the whole thing. Yeah. Sure. This world. And I think when people talk about plotlessness or they talk about, I don't know, um, I, I can't think of, like uh, Francis Ha, I don't know. Um, oh, okay. But to me, Wonder Woman 1984 is a plotless movie. I know. Everyone's like, all it was is plot. And I'm like, it's no, like, there was it's no plot. Yeah. Um, throw everything at the wall and hope something sticks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, manic activity is not plot. And no. So, you know, again, like I think somebody says, don't do voiceovers. What they mean is don't do shitty voiceovers. <laughs> that's a really good principle. Exactly. Um, that's all that ever means. And when he says, you know, don't, you know, throw your emotion into the thing, he kind of carves out a category where he's not really calling out, like, I don't know if I, Seymour Hoffman, Philip Seymour Hoffman, yeah. um, who, when I think about Philip Seymour Hoffman, the first scene I think about is in Boogie, Boogie Nights. Nights. Yeah, where he's sitting in the car. Oh, God. It's one of the greatest things. And I I assume that when he got out of that car, he was a little messed up. Maybe he wasn't. He was so good um, that maybe he just like immediately turned it off and said, yeah, that's how you do it. I don't really know. But, um, you know, again, do it well and it works. Do it poorly and it doesn't. And um, at his best, David Mamet did it very, very well. He really did. That is a wonderful note to end on too. I want to thank you so much for coming back. It's always a pleasure. And I think you were the perfect person to have this conversation with. I was fun. I'm glad we we settled on this um, because I think this was a good meeting point for us. So it really was. Well, thank you so much, Jordan. Thanks for having me as always. This is Jen Johans at filmintuition.com and filmintuition on social media and letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen. <laughs>